Hello and welcome to episode 133 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, joined by Bryson. Unfortunately, Jacob couldn't join us today, but not the series we wanted to be talking about. The Blue Jays lose two of three to the Seattle Mariners, ending it up today on Canada Day with a 7-2 loss. Bryson, how are you? Well, it's funny because just only a few days ago, we we ended things off for the first time in a while on a really good note, and it feels like we're going down the roller coaster again. So disappointing series, but myself, I'm doing all right. Yeah, that's the last time we're ever optimistic on this podcast. <laughs> we tried it once, it didn't pay oh, off, yeah. so we're done with that. Um, no, uh, the Blue Jays this week, they also uh, acquired Corey Dickerson and Adam Simber in a trade since we last talked. Um, the market seems to be heating up as well. They show interest in Richard Rodriguez of the Pittsburgh Pirates, so it seems like things are heating up there for the Blue Jays as we get within nine games of the All-Star break and, of course, a few weeks of the July 31st trade deadline. So I guess let's start with that because I don't really want to talk about this series yet because it's pretty depressing. But um, Adam Simber, Corey Dickerson from the Marlins for prospect Andrew McInvall. And then, of course, Joe Panic going the other way as well. The Blue Jays eat some of the contract for Corey Dickerson. And I think, like, maybe as bad as it sounds, like, Corey Dickerson doesn't matter in this trade he was just kind of a throw-in. Obviously, the Marlins wanted to get rid of salary, and this is what it took to get Adam Simber over to the Blue Jays. But you look at it, they give up a, a backup infielder, a prospect that's not on the top 30 list for the Blue Jays, and they get a guy who's under team control for two more years after this season. He has great numbers this year. Um, it's a good deal, in my opinion. I like it a lot. And, you know, Corey Dickerson, even as a throw-in on that deal for the Blue Jays, um, it could pay off for them if he comes off the injured list. He's a power bat off the bench. He can sub in in the outfield when he's needed. Um, yeah, I like this deal a lot. Yeah, it, you know what? Um, I, was, I wasn't I was too surprised when it happened. We, we were talking about this, I guess, I mean, ever since the season began. We were saying that the bullpen needs to be addressed. We've been talking about games that have been blown because of the bullpen, unfortunately. And this is the first move, as you can imagine, probably, you know, first out of a few more that the Jays will be making uh, within the month. So they bring in Adam Simber and Corey Dickerson, like you mentioned, and Joe Panic, who obviously the Jays really liked this year and who, you know, did his role and in some ways, I guess, kind of overexceeded at some points, uh, goes back to the Miami Marlins. So you know what? Before you get to Simber and Dickerson, you kind of have to acknowledge um, Joe Panic and his, I guess, his short tenure with the Blue Jays in terms of 2020 and 2021, especially this year. Him playing well or playing to the standards he did kind of made this trade possible because obviously he goes back the other way and his value increased. So in a way, Joe Panic helped out the Blue Jays for sure. And just because I, yeah, and the funny part too is how he he had a home run yesterday in his Marlins debut. I don't know if you saw that, Mark, but that was. Uh, you know, oh well, <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, the Jays get Adam Simber, the obviously the centerpiece of this trade, the bolster for the bullpen. It helps. You know, we we know the numbers. Everyone's kind of probably looked at his numbers. He's going to be a very reliable arm in this bullpen. He made his debut today, um, and he was very good in his uh, appearance. It was just over an inning. He came out uh, for one one out, and then he came out the next inning as well. And he, he did his he did his job. So for Adam Simber, that's another name you can add now who is going to potentially be one of the bright spots of this bullpen. Other than Jordan Romano, we're still missing kind of that other guy who you can kind of rely on. We're still not there yet um, with other people. So. You have him solidified. You have Romano solidified. So there's two people. I guess it is an upgrade in a way. And then for Corey Dickerson as well, I think a lot of people 
didn't realize he was injured right when the Jays got him. And a lot of people still believe that Dickerson would be used as trade bait. I don't know where you stand on that, Mark, but I just I have a hard time believing that. I think Corey Dickerson, if he's able to come back this year, will be on the Jays. And um, it also kind of gives you a sense of where they think or where they're at with Rowdy Telez because obviously Dickerson's a left-handed at-bat. You know, Rowdy Telez was as well. It kind of feels like Dickerson's going to be coming in and platooning um, in the outfield when he's ready at DH as well. You know, it does put a lot of, or it jams the outfield even more than what it was at originally. So potentially, or perhaps another move would be on the way before the the trade deadline where you see somebody else go. I'm not, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but it's just, it's very crowded now, even more crowded than what it was in the outfield. But yeah, he definitely wasn't the centerpiece in this trade, but it it is a decent ad for sure. We know what Corey Dickerson brings and Blue Jays fans should be familiar as uh, I think it was three, two, two years he spent with Tampa Bay. So he's been on, uh, he's been on a few teams, been on Colorado, Tampa Bay. Um, He spent the last couple of years as well with Pittsburgh and then Miami going back to 2020 and this year. So Corey Dickerson comes as well, but um, I was very impressed with the Jays or how the Jays managed to get him. They didn't really give up too much. And based on his numbers as well, something that the Jays really love that we spent or we talked about so many times is team control. He's a free agent in 2025. You have arbitration with him next year. And, um, you know, the, those remaining three years, he's under team control and he's had great or his career ERA is just at 369 now. It's probably a little bit lower after his um, his appearance today. So it's a solid career so far of what he's had in his four years in the MLB. And um, I'm pretty excited to see how Simber helps this team down the stretch, especially when more pieces are potentially on the way. I don't want to jump to conclusions with that as well, but it's definitely step one of something else. Um, that's going to happen within the month, but it's something that we've been talking about all year long. And we go back to that Yankee series where Mark, you were the one who wanted a, a deal done at that time a couple weeks ago. So better late than never, they did it. And um, I'm actually, I was still kind of surprised of how early this happened, but I'm going to take it for sure. Yeah, I think like the big challenges at this trade deadline for the Blue Jays were a they needed bullpen help at the beginning of June, and no one's sending them. No one wants to part with their relievers when the market is pretty much dead cold and still the Blue Jays managed to do that before things have really heated up and of course they got Jacob Barnes about a week ago as well so that's another arm down there obviously not quite as solid but still someone who can help contribute um, when they need it and yeah they turn Joe Panic, who's uh, came this year on a minor league deal they turn him plus a prospect who's for better or for worse, not probably going to be worth much. Um, they turn him into a guy who's under team control, and that's the second big challenge, I think, for the Blue Jays. Um, this this trade deadline, it's getting guys who fit with their competitive schedule over the next few years. We know that they're not a team that's going to want to you know, go all in and try to win it all this year, and Adam Simber is a guy who's going to stick around for a few years. He can help contribute to that. So um, I do think it's entertaining that Joe Panic played 83 games as a Blue Jay and never played at the Rogers Center. Um, and that'll certainly be a trivia question in a couple of years for people who are <laughs> keeping track of that kind of stuff because it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, I think a lot of fans liked him. I think he had a good career in Toronto. Um, short, but sweet. And uh, I don't know. I'm not too heartbroken that he's going the other way. And like you mentioned, Corey Dickerson, I don't think the Blue Jays are going to flip him. I think that's unlikely. The fact that he's on the injured list, he's probably going to be out until at least the All-Star break. No team is going to want to to buy him and 
actually give up anything of value because he's not that valuable. We saw what the Marlins had to do. It was basically a negative on the deal for the Marlins trying to get rid of Dickerson. So I don't think another team is going to want him. And yes, maybe his place in Toronto is questionable, but I don't think another team is going to take him. No, I'd be really surprised. And I just, I was even more surprised that people were kind of jumping to that conclusion right away. I was Mm -hmm. just, I know Simber is the centerpiece and he is the centerpiece, but yeah, I just, it'll, it definitely will be interesting to see how they fit everyone in though. Because like I mentioned, even before Dickerson was here, there was a log jam and we know that. And now there's even more of one. So, I mean, it is highly possible that they are going to make another deal, but I'm not saying it'll be Dickerson. It could be anybody else. So it's all going to depend. We know that the reliever market, like you mentioned as well, it's heating up now. We know that the starters market is slowly coming behind it. So we're getting into that prime season now where everything's going to be, um, ter- like in terms of rumors, everything's going to be going around the league. We, Like you mentioned too, right, o- right off, the, uh, off the top, the Richard Rodriguez rumor as well. And he's another one who'd be a great fit for the Jays. Maybe he'd cost a little bit more from what they just gave up for Simber, but it'll depend on how serious that goes as well. But that would be a massive addition to this bullpen as well, for sure. Yeah, Rodriguez, um, I guess we can talk about him now. He has one more year of control after this season. Um, but I think he will cost a little bit more. He's had better numbers than Simber has. Um, over 29 games this season, he has a 1.78 ERA. And in his major league career, dating back to 2018, not including 2017 because that was his major league debut. He didn't have great numbers that year. But dating back to 2018, he has an ERA of 2.82 and a FIP of 3.46 in the majors. And I think the most impressive stat to me is that in 30 innings, he struck out 27 batters and walked only three this season. So he would obviously be a huge help as well. And we talk about the fact that the Blue Jays don't just need one arm. They don't just need two arms. They need a handful of arms to really shore up that bullpen and take it from what it is now, or at least what it was a couple weeks ago, to a playoff caliber bullpen. They need a couple arms there. And if you add Rodriguez, you add Simber, you already added Barnes. I think that's most of the way there. Maybe there's another small piece like you got these guys coming back from the injured list. Merriweather may be back soon. Barucki, he's been apparently throwing a bullpen. He might be back soon as well. Um, we know Thomas Hatch is in his rehab assignment, although he's still in Buffalo. So who knows how that's going. He's been there for a while. But you get these pieces back. You add Simber. You add Rodriguez. Um, or if it's not Rodriguez, another name of that caliber. Then all of a sudden your bullpen looks pretty good. Yeah, and it's step one from Simber. And yeah, if even Rodriguez, somebody else, like I know there was uh, the Barrios rumors too from Minnesota last, uh, couple, actually it was right at the beginning of the season. So that's just one of many. And the fact that the reliever market's starting to take shape, you know that there's going to be so many options for this team. And, you know, I, I from what the Jays have done too, especially with Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, we've seen so far that they haven't really jumped the gun on a trade. They haven't really given up too many assets where you, you know, where you look at it and you're like, it's a little too much. Like going back to any trade they've made, especially going back to last year when they've, you know, starting to go back in the direction of buying, it's everything's been low risk. And for Adam Simber, you know, I credit to Joe Panic because if Joe Panic wasn't playing well, maybe he's not a J right now. So that's why, you know, the Jays took advantage of that in a way and they used Joe Panic for assets. And if you're going to, if you're going to ask me at the beginning of the year, if they were going to use Joe Panic like that, I would have called you crazy. So credit to him and nothing but respect for what he did in his short tenure here. So, um, but yeah, for Adam Simber, um, they didn't really give up too much. And obviously they also gave up a double A prospect as well. So, 
when other other future trades happen, depending on who it is, I trust the front office in terms of how aggressive they will be. And I think they've proven that they're not going to jump the gun on somebody that they're not entirely sold on in terms of being desperate. So that's why I'm um, excited as well to see what happens in July. So you know that Ross Atkins is going to be active. He probably already has been active based on the fact that they already made a trade. So it'll be definitely uh, interesting to see how this all transpires. And, uh, you know, we, we do say multiple arms and we know that they need multiple arms. But at the end, it's also going to be interesting to see how many arms they do add. So that's one, potentially two or three, a starter maybe. And as well with Corey Dickerson, I think that also solves the problem of a left-handed bat on the bench because obviously Panic was a lefty as well. So you lose him. And Dickerson could be a pretty good asset if he comes back and if he uh, becomes healthy. So it, it it all has high upside for this team going forward. Yeah, and I think the next few weeks will be interesting to see. Because like... The Blue Jays got nine games left before the All-Star break, six of them against Tampa Bay. And even after that, you know, they got whatever it is, 10 or 15 games before the trade deadline. I think a lot can change in that time. And if the floor kind of falls out from the Blue Jays, they're not going to make these moves. But they still might be in the market for guys like Simber who are under team control. So um, let's stick with Simber for a second and move to talking about Wednesday night's game. Because a lot of people really upset that Adam Simber didn't come in in the 10th inning. And instead, Charlie Montoyo brought in Patrick Murphy, who subsequently gave up three runs, two earned. The third run being the runner who started on second base. A lot of people upset with this. I understand the move to not go to Adam Simber. Um, it's his first day with the team. It's his first day on the roster. Um, that's just the number one factor, I think. You know, throwing a guy, your new toy, into a situation that's do or die for the Blue Jays on his first day on the roster, I think, is not the right move. Um, and, you know, maybe that's some people say that's semantics, that's not really important, but I think it's kind of overwhelming to expect him to save the game for you, basically, in the 10th inning in his first day on the roster. So that's the number one reason I think it's fine not to go to Adam Simmer in that situation. The number two reason I think is a lot of people have been talking about this but his splits lefty against righty um, you look this season he's actually been better against lefties than he has against righties he's had a 196 opponents batting average against lefties compared to 269 against righties is on base um, similar splits same with OPS so this year he's actually been better against lefties but you look at his career again uh, against lefties, and I know they were talking about it in the broadcast today, but with a submarine guy coming in against lefties, sometimes it's easier to for lefties to hit against him. Anyways, you look at his career numbers, career batting average, opponent's batting average, 254 from righties, 273 from lefties. Um, it just gets worse as you look at OBP, OPS. Um, the OPS difference, it's 652 against righties, 869 against lefties. So that's quite the dramatic split. So you look at that, you say, okay, three of the four guys coming up in the 10th inning for Seattle were lefties. You don't want to throw a guy who has historically struggled against lefties into that situation. So that's a, the second reason why I think it's okay to not go with Simber. Um, so I'm not upset about this move. Um, and you know, you look at the, the opportunities the Blue Jays had throughout the game, bases loaded, guys on first and third or second and third throughout the game, and they couldn't capitalize. That's really where it, where it comes down to me. And again, in the, the bottom of the tent, they couldn't capitalize on the opportunities they had, although they did get one run in the bottom of the tent. So that's what it comes down to to me. I, I'm not upset about not using Simber there. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Brayson? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. And I, I still find it funny, even with Adam Simber, who is the new addition to this bullpen, is that every decision Montoyo makes, Charlie Montoyo, is it causes backlash. And it's just, at some point, you feel bad for the guy because no matter what he does, people are going to disagree with him. But um, yeah, you know, it's his first day there. And of course, I'm sure they were aware of the splits as well. And we know that they're heavy analytical as well. So I mean, I, I trust them for that. And this righty-lefty splits is always something that I, I find very important myself, no matter, you know, what stats you find important or not. I always find this, the, the splits important. So if what you said is true, and it is true, based on the, the big difference, the dramatic difference between lefties and righties, and if it's day one um, in a tough game, a back-and-forth game, because it was very, it was back-and-forth all game, Jays went 5 for 20 in runner, for with runners in scoring position. So, you know, it just didn't start off well as well. We know that Steven Matz had a poor outing, uh, a little bit a little bit rusty, though, coming back. I think he missed two turns uh, through the rotation. So he four runs in just under three innings. It, it just it wasn't good from the start, but they held in there. They got back in the game. And, um, you know, I guess you can make the point to bring him in, but based on the splits, like you mentioned, and based on the fact that it's day one and, you know, it just doesn't feel like it'd be in a good, it's, it doesn't feel right for him to come in yesterday. It didn't. I know he was warming up and that's obviously what got fans, um, a little bothered by it because they saw him warming up in the bullpen. Something obviously changed and, um, I, I'm fine with it. I, I am fine with it. So, you know, other than him and Romano, you have to put these guys in at some point. And if he did come in, I mean, maybe Patrick Murphy still appears later in the game. It depends on or what transpires from there or maybe a different lefty. So um, it, there's just a whole whack of scenarios that can happen. But yeah, you know what? Patrick Murphy coming in, um, somebody who is, I guess, getting a chance to be in the bullpen right now in terms of coming in in you know, high leverage situations. He gave up two runs. Uh, in a third of an inning when he did come in. So, I mean, that's why people are obviously upset. But, you know, you have to take in, um, you have to count that in the fact that he was, you know, he just got to the team and I just didn't feel right for him to come in. So I'm I'm fine with it. I could have understand either way. And someone like Patrick Murphy came out today uh, in the Canada Day game and he bounced back. So he had an inning and two thirds of, score, of, of a scoreless appearance. So, Either way, I'm fine with it. And Simber as well. He was impressive today when he came in um, for his inning and a third. Zero runs again and one strikeout. So, um, you know, maybe down the line, is he will be obviously a high dependable uh, piece in this bullpen. He, like, there's no question about it. But in day one, you know, I'm not saying it, it, it is asking for a lot for, you know, to him come in, in that situation and try and, you know, bail them out already because that's what he would have had to do. It just, it didn't feel right from the start. So, you know, people... Again, over-criticizing Charlie Montoyo, it just feels like it's just something that they have to pick on him for. Like, no matter what it is, you know, are they going to pick on him from today's game for bringing in Tyler Chatwood when they did? Maybe. I mean, I haven't really looked at any uh, reactions yet on social media. So I think people start, need to start backing off the hate train of Charlie Montoyo. You know, it probably won't happen. But I just, at this point, you almost feel bad for the guy because of every move he makes is now heavily criticized. So, you know, it's, I trust him in most situations this year I have. And that's why if you, if you didn't feel comfortable bringing in Simber last night, um, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm fine with it. I agree. Yeah. And like he would, when you start warming him up in the 10th, it's like, you don't have any other options. <laughs> like, yeah. yes, you would ideally not use him in that situation because like we've said, he's new to the team, splits against the lefties, and Mariners are a lefty-heavy team. But once you use Murphy, once you use some of these other guys, the options that you have to go to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So I it makes sense that he wasn't the first option, but maybe he was the second option or third option out of the bullpen. So 
makes sense to me. Again, get off the hate train. And if people are making, uh, you know, noises about Montoya bringing in Chatwood today, do not understand that at all. Um, they were down three runs. Like, yes, or, or four runs at that point. Like, yes, your offense is good, but you're down three runs. Would you rather them use Romano in that situation or Tyler Chatwood? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me why you would criticize that. Again, we don't know if people actually are. Um, one last note on the Wednesday game. Can we just talk about the YouTube broadcasters? Um, I know Jacob and I in our group chat were criticizing that all night. It was driving me crazy. Like, I, man, it made me so frustrated just watching that game. And not only could they not shut up about the bunt and about base running and about the shift, but even when cool things happened, like Lourdes Goriel Jr.'s game-tying home run, no enthusiasm. Absolutely nothing. And I just want to play the clip of that because it really dumbfounded me how you could be that incompetent so as to not be excited about really the pivotal moment in that game for the Blue Jays. So I'll just play this clip. It's only 13 seconds, but it really gives you a picture of how bad this broadcast crew was. Bill, Riley Adams, and Marcus Simeon. And that ball is launched. Wow. High ball game. Deep into the Buffalo Knight. Just horrible. Horrible. I have no other words. It's ridiculous. Um, and then they did the same thing in the 10th inning when, who was it, Dylan Moore hit the three-run home run? No enthusiasm. It was It was ridiculous. Yeah, and especially if they're like, if it's like a new, like it's not obviously a Jays broadcast or Seattle. Like they got to be, no matter what, either both sides, you got to be somewhat enthusiastic. But yeah, yeah Mark, you had the best um, caption when you posted. You said something about Lourdes doesn't care about your discount <laughs> yeah. broadcasters. So I was reading it all. I was saying I just didn't want to get involved because I knew it. I just I knew I knew you guys would have a problem with it. I had a feeling of it. And even going back to a um, a couple years ago when it was on Facebook, I remember I didn't even like it when it was on Facebook a couple years ago. It was just it's just very it's very dry, and I just feel like they were trying too hard to. Um, you know, act like they were having like a, you know, they were, it was almost like they were trying to be like acting calm and acting like they were funny. It just, it didn't mix. It, it, it was horrible. And I know people have their opinions on Buck and Pat sometimes. Obviously, Dan Shulman's a pro. We know that he's one of the best in the business. And, um, but either way, Buck and Pat, usually people have problems with that. But how can you go from, you know, hating Buck and Pat and enjoying that YouTube broadcast? Like that made me miss Buck and Pat more than it usually yeah. I usually did. So, and even like the game was on YouTube, like it, it, it was just, it's very strange how they do it. I understand they're trying to engage like a younger audience from YouTube, but like, yeah, it was, it was very dry. It, I feel like they were trying too hard at some points. And you know, the fact that you and Jacob were mad about it, it was, it gave me a good laugh all night. So I, I was reading up on all of it. I just I'm like, I'm going to stay back and let you guys uh, do that. But yeah, even like the home run calls too. It, it, probably one of the lamest home run calls. I'm not even kidding that I've ever heard in my life. Like it, it, it's mm-hmm. up there. Like I don't know. I can't think of one at, at the top of my head right now that would be worse. But yeah, very dry. And I think they do. Is it one game a week they do? I mm-hmm. think they do that. So I believe that's the last Jays game of the year. For Actually, them. I, think, I think so. I think they have another oh, no. one in August. It's like August 17th oh, no. or something. I heard. Oh my goodness. So we're gonna have to deal with this again. Oh, but yeah, it's no. like. I'm not a big fan of Buck and Pat. Like, I enjoy them, but I recognize they're not the greatest at what they do. And when you throw Dan in there, it is so much better. But, man, and what I, from what I remember from the Facebook broadcast, like, at least it was a broadcast. Like, they knew, like, this was four people 
and they showed the video of them just sitting around a, like a coffee table in the studio and they're just talking about baseball. It's like if we were going to record a podcast while the game was on and we would say like one or two words about the game every five minutes. It was, it was ridiculous. I don't know who's running it and it's like it's not hard to do this. Like ESPN does Sunday Night Baseball every single week with Matt Visargin and Alex Rodriguez and like they're good broadcasts. Whatever you think about Matt and A-Rod, like it's a good broadcast. It's not that hard to do it. I don't I don't understand. Um and YouTube wants to do more of these games. It's like <laughs> ridiculous. Uh Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's um <laughs> No, it's just yeah, I'm just trying to look at August 17th of who they're playing. So I'm going to pull it up on the fly here. August 17th is a Tuesday. They are in Washington. So they're playing the they're Washington Nationals, so you're going to hear that and you know, for someone like Kyle Schwarber who's been on a home run tear the past 10 games, you know, obviously I don't want him hitting one against the Jays, but you know, if if he does hit one, how lame are they going to be? So no matter what it is, it's it's just they're trying way too, and especially when they were like, yeah, showing them talking like that. It just way too hard. Like they're trying way too hard. And I, I, they got us like, it just didn't, you didn't feel like it, you were having a good time. And yeah, Sunday night baseball is obviously on a different level from what we, what we saw uh, last night. So that, I mean, that obviously is somewhat enjoyable and the games are usually really good on prime time, but yeah, the, the, the YouTube experiment, you hope it phases out within the next year or not. But if you're saying they want to do more games, it's probably going to stick around for a little bit longer, but yeah, just as long as they can stay away from the Jays, I think we'll be fine. But clearly, they have one more to go. So, oh boy, it's rough to watch. Um, okay, speaking of rough, rough to watch, the Blue Jays lost seven to two today, as we mentioned. I think the big takeaway from this game is Hinjun Ryu um, gives up five runs, really, really struggling there in the early innings. We've seen this time and time again from him throughout the month of June, now bleeding into the month of July. We talked about this before. If the Blue Jays start getting regular starts from Ryu that are of this quality, they're in trouble. They need Ryu a lot in that rotation. And we know the other guys in the rotation have been so, so good. You look at Robbie Ray coming out this season, having a fantastic year. You look at Ross Stripling since the end of May, having a fantastic stretch. Even look at Steven Metz being like a little bit worse in league average. Better than you could have hoped for when the Blue Jays made that deal. But Having Ryu at the top of the rotation is essential, and the fact that his numbers over the past few games, his splits recently, have been really bad is very, very concerning for the Blue Jays. It's um, it's almost a red alert at this point because I remember we had the discussion when he had the brief injured list, or when he had a brief stint on the injured list um, back in April. I believe it was the Oakland series. He came back, but yeah, I remember all of us saying that if he was gone or if he was going to miss time, uh, the Jays were going to be in trouble and. If this continues, they could be in trouble. I mean, it's it's putting more pressure on everybody else. He's the ace. You can't have him giving up five runs in less than three innings to the Seattle Mariners. I know the Mariners have been decent this year, but even so, you were mentioning the splits. I mean, the last 30 days, in the area of 535, and that's in over 35 innings. It's it's not going to cut it, and um, it's concerning. So there's a, a lot of factors that could be um, you know factoring in. A lot of people still mention sticky stuff, but... I, I really don't know. And then, of course, Jacob, who texted today in the group chat, he wanted me to, he wanted one of us to mention it, so I'll mention it and I'll give him credit. He says that uh, it is a hundred percent Danny Jansen, or hundred percent Danny Jansen's backup catcher because Ryu is struggling. So, in other words, he is saying that Danny Jansen 
the absence of Danny Jansen is the cause of concern or the reasoning behind Ryu struggling or, you know, him struggling. I mean, he may not be wrong. He, there, I mean, the numbers have definitely proven it when he's throwing to Danny Jansen and when he's throwing to someone like Reese McGuire or Riley Adams. So when Jansen is back, because I think um, Ross Atkins kind of doubled down yesterday saying that he will be back. And I think he said the same thing about Kirk, that they're going to both be on the roster. So... I don't know what that means for Reese McGuire, but it's definitely a little surprising about the Kirk and McGuire part. But anyways, when Jansen's back, because he is going to be back, I mean, if Ryu starts and gets back on track with Jansen, then clearly something's up. Maybe it's that way, but either way, um, no matter what the reasoning is, it, it's got to stop. I mean, I you hope that the All-Star break's going to give him time to kind of refresh and regroup. And that's I think that's really the best thing that you can look forward to right now. But it's just been a cause for concern. I know he had, there was a couple outings ago where I think he started off really bad in the first inning and then he kind of settled down. And I remember mentioning yeah, to you guys on this, yeah, and, and on this podcast, I said, like, oh, oh, you know, maybe he figured things out after that rough start, but clearly he hasn't. So that's two starts now as well. I think it started off good last start, but in the seventh inning is when he gave up four earned runs. And today was just a mess from the start. He only lasted four innings. Like, it's got. I don't know what the reasoning is. They there's something that they got to figure out. But all I know is if this continues past the All Star break now, when we get closer to the end of July, um, there, there's going to be a serious problem because this rotation is starting. Like you mentioned, people like Stripling are starting to turn it around. Matt's has been average this year at times, and there's a few others. Robbie Ray, he's been obviously leading the charge. If your ace supposedly aced is missing, that that's not good. So you know it has so much potential to be better. A starter could be coming, but either way, um, Hunjin Ryu, he's got to figure this out within the next couple of weeks because it's it's not good. It's been completely ugly. Yeah, and even if they do get a starter at the deadline, it's like you're not taking Ryu out of the rotation. No, like, of course not, yeah. It it would be probably Steven Matz coming out of the rotation at this point, I think, just because of the numbers he's put up. That's nothing against him. It's just statistically he's the worst starter right now. He's the guy coming out of the rotation. So you still have to deal with the Ryu problem even if you get a guy at the deadline. Um, and it is really concerning. We talked about some of his advanced metrics when we talked about his struggles before. You look at the um, percentile rankings um, among major league pitchers in 2021 for Ryu. Like his average exit velocity is now below um, league average in a bad way. Um, his max exit velocity is 18th percentile, hard hit rate 52 percentile, expected ERA is 51 percentile. There's a lot of blue and white on his baseball savant page now. Whereas you look at his 2020 rates, there's a lot of red and red is good. Red means great. Um, is that how it's labeled on the baseball savant page? So his hard rate percent last year, 90% average exit velocity, 73rd percentile, um, expected ERA 83rd percentile. So a lot of those numbers have decreased. So I don't think it's just, you know, bad luck. Um, I don't think it's, as simple as anything like that, I think there are serious concerns with him. And yes, as guys get older, like we've said before, with guys like Ryu, especially with his four-year deal, when you sign that four-year deal, you're paying for the previous four years, not the, the next four years. But it's really concerning. You don't expect him to depreciate this much over this rapid uh, a time uh, a timetable. And you know maybe it is Jansen, but I doubt it. I, I don't think one catcher makes all that much difference for a pitcher to have him go from, you know, being, uh, his ERA was at 2.62 
on May 28th after that start against Cleveland that we mentioned. Now it's up to 341. And over that span, he has an ERA, like you mentioned, of almost five. So I don't think that much of a difference comes down to who your catcher is. It's uh, it's concerning. And I don't know if this is going to change. I don't know how you fix it if you're the Blue Jays. Um, but there's not really a solution as easy as go out and get a starter because Ryu is staying in the rotation no matter what. Yeah, I was just going to quickly mention. I guess the catcher does make or make a difference if you're Ari Dickey and Josh Tolley. Right. So <laughs> I got to give Josh Tolley another honorable mention. We all try to when we get the chance. But yeah, for um, sorry for Hunjin Ryu, it's yeah, it's like I don't know what it, it. Even when he's pitching, like he's missing a lot of the corners, the edges. Like his stuff just isn't sharp, and his strikeouts are down too. Like he just hasn't really been striking out people consistently. And yeah, even if he is going to age or decline, obviously he will. It shouldn't be this rapidly. It should be kind of maybe slowly and steady. And that doesn't mean that he'll be bad. He can still be a good in terms of being an ace in the rotation. But yeah, this is something beyond Danny Jansen, in my opinion. It's 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 all about his you know mechanics. There's something wrong. And maybe Jansen is a part of it in a way, but you can't put it all on the reasoning for that, in, in my opinion, Jacob. So, I mean, it's okay. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, the fact that the All-Star break is coming up, I think he's going to have another start, though, before the All-Star break. I think, I mean, that's your best sign of hope. It's almost like it's, in, in a way, he's kind of taking time off, and maybe you can restructure the rotation, maybe put him, delay him a few days as well when they come back, and um, just figure it out. Like, it, it, it's not like he's having bad luck. It's just... He's missing in every part of the strike zone. It, 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 he is hitting it at some points, but he's just not being sharp. And the strikeouts aren't there. And the hard hit percentage or the hard hit contact and the velocity off of people that he's facing, it, it's high. Like there's solid contact coming off the bat when he's pitching and it's concerning. So yeah, yeah, I just, I don't really think anybody really has an explanation to what's going on because we know that 2020 he was dominant. We know the start of this year has been dominant besides the month of June. So we've seen it from him. And um, for someone in a four-year deal, like this is year two, that we're almost halfway through it now. You know, you have another, if you hope it's nothing close to this for the last two years or else it's going to get really ugly. So, I mean, it's a really important piece of the rotation. The most important piece of the rotation, the Jay spent 80 million on him. So, you know, I, I don't know what else it is, but yeah, you know, you, you, the best thing you can have at this point is kind of hope that he can somewhat figure it out over the all-star break. Yeah. And I guess if you really want to draw the connections between Danny Jansen and Ryu's struggles, Jansen hit the injured list, um, after June 6th, that was his last start. Um, the Blue Jays game against Houston, um, Ryu again, going back to his struggles, he did start struggling at the beginning of um, the beginning of June, but you go back to June 4th, that's a game Danny Jansen started, started. it's a game where you started, he gave up seven runs, um, six earned on that game, he had one strikeout, three walks, two home runs, yes, it was against the Astros, we know how good their offense is, but I don't think the solution is as easy as bring back Danny Jansen, I think there's a lot more problems in that, and you know, we know he's someone who likes having an extra day of rest. He likes having five days of rest instead of the normal four. This season, he's only had six starts with five days of rest compared to uh, five with four days of rest and two with six days of rest. So maybe that's something we need to look at. Maybe the Blue Jays need to consider having just, even if their schedule doesn't line up to make it work, just having a spot starter, having Anthony Kay or Trent Thornton go out there and have a, a, a bullpen day 
so that Ryu gets that extra day of rest. Maybe that's it. Um, I don't know, but something has to change. We got to figure this out um, because like we said, he's a huge part of this rotation and Blue Jays can't really afford to be who he is right now. Um, Okay, so taking in this series against the Mariners and then going back to the Blue Jays series against Miami and then the two series against Baltimore as well. They're eight and four um, over those past series. Uh, Again, Baltimore, Miami, um, Baltimore again, and then Seattle. Uh, We knew going into this stretch they would have to put up really good numbers. Is eight and four enough? Like, is that good enough? Um, from what we expected going into this period. And then further, they got nine games left until the All-Star break. Six of those are against the Rays, three get three of those against Baltimore. What do they have to do during that period to kind of end this first half of the season on a good note? Well, I mean, coming off of this series now against Seattle, Seattle passes them in the wild card standing. So before we recorded, before the series, uh, the Blue Jays were just trailing Cleveland. And now Seattle overhops them. The Yankees are still lurking as much as they are a complete mess. And I'm not complaining. But anyways, yeah. And currently from the wild card standings, the Jays are five games back. So it's kind of like, I believe it's pretty much the same from when we last recorded. How, Which means, in a way, it's not horrible. But at the same time, when you think about it now, a little bit of an opportunity you missed to gain more ground, but eight and four I'll take, but it's just disappointing. Like the game yes, last night, especially it was easily a game they could have won. It was back and forth and it's almost a coin flip. And it just feels like whenever it's been a coin flip this year, the Jays haven't done it. So that's why it's a bit disappointing. And of course you have that game. It was game two against Baltimore, the most recent series where they probably should have won that game as well when it was five, one and the implosion happened in the eighth inning. That's a game you lose. It easily could have helped the game by a game for sure. But now you're right. Before the All-Star break, you have a couple key opponents coming up. And it's not going to be exactly easy. So you have Tampa Bay. And, you know, I think they were mentioning on the broadcast today that the Jays are pretty much below 500 in terms of playing Tampa Bay. I think they men- I mentioned all the, the strong teams they've played. They mentioned the record against Houston as well this year. And you have no choice but to, to you know, you got to win the series. You have to. You have to take... Um, two out of three, in my opinion. Will they? Obviously, we don't know. Um, if they lose a series, it's going to be disappointing. I understand that Tampa has been good this year, and the Jays are kind of still missing a few pieces. But if they want to gain ground on the, maybe even the division as well, and you know, I'm going to focus more on the wild card. And I think all of us are. You got to beat these teams, and it's not like you're going to stop seeing Tampa. You have them as well in July, and you can't be going off of or you can't be experiencing the same result every time or else it's just not going to work out and you're going to miss the playoffs. So this is important for them coming up. They have to win the series. I'm not saying they will, but that is what's going to have to happen this weekend as well. And heading into the all-star break, you got to be better than seven and or eight and four. Like you mentioned, you know, maybe stick around something like that, but you can't be any worse than that. But ideally you got to be better than that. And that's just the situation they put themselves in. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to expect the world out of them, but based on what they've had the past couple of months, this is what it's come down to. Yeah, and I guess maybe the Blue Jays are getting lucky a little bit in facing the Rays right now. Uh, The Rays have lost three in a row. Um, They are kind of cooling off a little bit. We know earlier they got swept by the Mariners of all teams, so maybe the Blue Jays kind of luck out in the fact that they are playing the Rays right now. But still, they're going to be a tough opponent. And from what we've seen from the Blue Jays, they're not going to be able to uh, put up big numbers against them. They're not going to be able to run the tally up against them. They're going to be close games. Uh, they're going to be hard-fought games. So it's going to be difficult for them to pull out with a lot of wins in those series. Of course, the series against Baltimore, that should be easy. Two wins, three wins. 
um, at the very least two wins. Uh, but again, we've seen Baltimore take advantage of the mistakes the Blue Jays make. So um, they kinda, I, I think they got to kind of run away with it before the All-Star break. That doesn't mean if they don't, they're out of it. We still got a lot of baseball left to play, but um, it's I, I think it's going to be difficult for them to run up the tally in this next week, and I think they have to run up the tally in the next week. So it's a little bit unfair for the Blue Jays to look at it like that, but it's uh, it's a little bit of a difficult schedule as we head into the All-Star break. Yeah, and I mean, we're going to also assume that they take uh, next week in Baltimore, they take two to three at worst. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you you want to sweep, you, and they they proved that they could have easily done it the last time they played, and I hope they do. But yeah, you have Tampa this weekend now, and right right after that Baltimore series, heading into the All Star break, it's the last series. You're at the House of Horrors at Tropicana Field, so we've seen it go very bad down there. But you need something, especially this weekend. And even if you're not going to win the series next weekend in Tampa or at St. Petersburg, this is the weekend here. Your last uh, the last series of the homestand in Buffalo. You got to come away with two out of three at worst. You have to. Okay, well, they got Alec Manoa and Ross Stripling starting game one and two against the Rays. We can hope for the best in those games. Who knows what happens, but I think we'll end our podcast there. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of Section 138. We'll be back after this series against the Rays, and hopefully Jacob will be able to join us then, and we can have the gang back together. Um, As always, you can rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube. Um, You can follow us on social media at Section138Pod. And lastly, you can support our Patreon as well at patreon.com slash Section138Pod. It'll be in the description of this podcast and this YouTube video. So thanks to everyone who watched this episode or listened to this episode. And we'll catch you after the next one.